This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Wednesday, August 11th, 2010, and this is episode 37. I am Paul Fox, and somewhere in the Fragrant Harbor, joining me, as always, is my good friend, Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. How's it going, Kevin? Um, a little mad, Paul. A little uh, mad. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, good news is I finally joined the Apple Revolution. Uh, ordered my, yep. Ordered my iPad, and uh, but the problem is I was trying to get a little uh, adjustment into my shipping, my order, and I waited four hours on the Apple hotline before I mm. got through. And that is that is uh that is a local number, I take it, here in Hong Kong. Yeah, it seems like it's a local number. I mean, it, it's a little different than the usual uh, Hong Kong number, but it passed me to a Cantonese-speaking representative, so I figured it must be a Hong Kong mm, sweet. number. Well, congratulations. I hope that arrives fairly soon. I'd imagine, you know, some of the troubles that you're encountering with the delay is because people are frantically trying to get um, their iPhone 4s. And I believe I saw some people Twittering saying that actually the Apple Store was shipping the iPhone 4s to Hong Kong this week if you ordered directly from the store. So I imagine it was quite a, you know, quite a madhouse for whoever that person or wherever that center was that was answering calls. Um, yeah, because they, they launched the iPad and the iPhone within, I think, the same month. So there's this overwhelming amount of demand, and there was no pre-order for neither of the devices. So just this overwhelming demand for both devices coming in, and uh, seems like a little too much for Apple to handle. Yeah, and we unfortunately we don't have an Apple Store. I believe they've got one. I think they have one in Beijing, and one in Shanghai or planned for Shanghai, if I'm not mm -hmm. mistaken. But yeah, there's nothing on the books for getting an Apple Store. In Hong Kong, we have quite a few stores that are authorized representatives that I've been to. I've got a couple favorites that I like to shop at. Um, but even those don't have... Uh, I was at a store yesterday, in fact, buying a, buying some things for my iPad. And um, they had the iPads in, but they didn't have any iPhone 4s. So a lot of people were coming in asking about it. And, you know, they didn't even have a display model out. So... I yeah, they don't imagine. seem to. Uh, yeah. yeah, they don't seem to have the iPads in either. Because I was, I wasn't going to go through the Apple Store, and I was just going to buy one at a reseller or one of the official shops in the big uh, elect electronic chains. Apparently, one is um, forcing people to buy to buy accessories, and the other, I walked up and asked the representative, "Hey, do you have the iPad?" She said, "No," and I asked, "Well, can I can I order one?" He's like, "No," and I just just turned me away. Mm. Typical that's Hong Kong customer that's surprising. service. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm surprised that they don't have them because, um, as from what I've seen, the shipping time on the Apple Store is is pretty typical. It's like seven to ten days. So, well, we are here not to talk about Apple products. We are here to talk about what are we here to talk about, Kevin? Here to talk about movies and uh, more movies. Yeah, movies. We talk about on this show films from Hong Kong to Hollywood. And sometimes lots of stuff in between, like Apple and geeky stuff. Um, but before we get into our main topics this week, we want to throw a shout out to Squattertown. Um, Squattertown is a project by a friend of Mr. Ma named, uh, it's Marco Spamberg, is that correct? Spamberg, yes. Uh, yeah. My German friend. He's a, he's a classmate of mine, well, a different year. He's a schoolmate of mine at um, my film school, and um, currently he's trying to raise funds for um, an upcoming project that he's going to make at the end of the year when he returns to school. Um, it is a part of a project that he likes to call Dim Sum Western, where he tries to... Uh, Combine the aesthetics of Hong Kong cinema and the aesthetics of spaghetti western, and um, and 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 try and see how it works. Um, he already did one uh, about half a year ago, about eight months ago. Um, that was uh, another homework for another class. Uh, I believe Paul, you will put up uh, the link later yes. on. Um, and as you can see, uh, Marco is a very talented filmmaker, and um, and he's German, so I'm sure any, anything about counting, anything about about efficiency, you know, he, he's 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 definitely up to it. Um, so please, um, this is your chance to directly support a Hong Kong-made film, Squatter Town. Um, 
if you just check out the information, it's quite an interesting project, and I look forward to both supporting it uh, financially and hopefully um, take a part in it myself as well. Yep. And if if you go over to the website, um, you'll see that they do actually have a sort of a cap for the budget. Um, I believe it was like uh, twelve hundred U.S. dollars. That's right. So. Um, That's right. And what they've done is they've actually broken up the sponsorship into different categories. So if you can only give a couple dollars, you can sponsor that way. If you can give a bit more, you can get a T-shirt. Um, if you if you give, I think the uh, penultimate uh, sponsorship package is called the Taipan package. And with that, you get, uh, you, if you're in Hong Kong, you get a chance to go to a, a private screening of the film. And you can get some, if you've got a business, you can get some advertising um, as well. So there, there are lots of different ways you can sponsor. And this is sort of the new um, indie route for young independent directors to get funding. I've seen other projects um, take on this kind of this kind of sponsorship role on the internet and it's a great great way to get involved and meet some potentially up-and-coming filmmakers so if you're a, a fan of film i would say definitely try and go over and check it out yes uh regarding the the, the taipan sponsorship i've talked to marco and he said he will do product placement for anything including this podcast and mm. anything anything you as long as you pay the money he'll he'll put it in that sounds intriguing. Um, so yeah, go over to the website and take a look, and you can see uh, they did a co- they did a commercial for the project as well. Is that right? Yes, they shot um, a trailer, a short trailer um, that essentially sets up the, the the style of the project and 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 essentially sells you what they're trying to do here. So um, also check it out if you want to know what Mister Schmambag will be doing. Uh, so do uh, support Squatter Town. All right. Now it's time to talk about some news for this week. Um, up first for our East Screen news. Uh, first bit of news: the Fortune Star Library uh, seems to have been, or in the process of being, sold back to China. Um, this article coming from uh, Film Biz Asia's website says that News Corp has recently uh, announced the sale of Star China Business. And that that uh, organization, Star China Business, includes uh, the Fortune Star Library. And they've sold it to a Chinese investment fund um, named, if I can pronounce this right, uh, China Media Capital, which is a private equity fund uh, formed with both the Chinese government and headed by the uh, Shanghai Media Group, whose boss is... Uh, Li Rui Gang. Do you know him, Kevin? Li I don't Rui know. Gang. I wish I knew. I wish I knew more rich people, but yeah. no. I'm, 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 I'm assuming he's, he's a, he's a big player, in, mm-hmm. in media and capital in China. But, for people of our level and our interest, um, this does, it, this may have an impact because the Fortune Star Movie Library has almost 800 Chinese language films in it, from Golden Harvest and the D and B Stables. Um, you know, some of, some of my favorite films uh, came from both of those production houses. And this includes cinema films from the 70s um, all the way through the early 90s, including some of Bruce Lee's films. Um, and so I don't know. What do you think about this? Um, do you think that, like, locally we have, if for those people who have, like, Now TV, we've got the star Chinese movie channels. In fact, they've, they opened up a second channel. And I think that that's part of this um, this whole network, and that might be impacted now that um, News Corp, um, who some of you may may recognize as uh, Rupert Murdoch, um, his company's actually sold their stake out. Now, the interesting thing is that um, a VP of News Corp, Jack Gao, um, he seems to be leading this this separate company that's bought um, bought up this section. So it's kind of confusing as to, you know, because he, he was part of News Corp, but now he's going to be the CEO of Star China. So I'm really confused as, will there be any impact or is this a way for them to, um, you know, shift some money around somehow or what exactly is going to sort of be the fallout of this big business deal? Um, I think with 
Fox starting to, well, News Corp uh, slowly getting into Chinese cinema with uh, Hot Summer Days. Uh, I'm not surprised if there's some kind of internal um, capital shifting, whatever thing. I mean, that like like you were talking about, that's what I was worried about because um, Star Move, Star Chinese Movie Two, essentially, sh- that that's this whole library is what their programming is consistent of. Um, and I wonder how whether 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 Star Star Corp would still be able to show the films or or whether to just pay a fee or it's all yeah it's all a little confusing because it seems like there's not much transparency in this deal. Um, also, um, Kozo and I were talking about this piece of news the other day at the office, and we, you know we we're wondering if the new company is going to do anything for these films as if as in you know remastering them or re-releasing them again. Um, and my 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 take on it is they won't because you know I mean Fortune Stars already released all these versions. Um, I don't think they're gonna bother to remaster 757 movies, uh, especially you know depends because especially when the collectors already bought them. Unless they're taken to a new format like Blu-ray, but uh, Fortune Star Blu-ray I believe hasn't worked out quite well with uh, complaints about quality on. Uh, on remastered films, especially Police Story. So, uh, do you have any hope for these movies? Do you think um, there'll be this this new company would do anything with these movies that could help us movie fans, Paul? Well, I think uh, if we look at the history, I think the only thing that we could expect is perhaps another round of releases. I think we'd be hoping too much um, to 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 have these be remastered at all. I mean. I don't see them. We talked about this a little bit last week when we were talking about the problems of, of Blu-ray and the fact that they don't really utilize the technology and the media as deeply as they could. And here, you know, uh, whoever gets in charge of the library may simply say, "Well, let's just have another round of releases, maybe on Blu-ray." But basically, what they'll be doing is pulling, you know, the prints of things like Blue Jean Monster directly off the DVD, and you know saying oh it's a blu-ray now um i don't know we could be surprised and maybe somebody who you know they'll get somebody who knows what they're doing and who has a you know a very firm interest in seeing that these titles are treated well and we might get some quality releases out of it but i don't know a lot of times these big deals are not done with that kind of thing in mind it's done more for um how are we going to shift some money around how are we going to make a profit for the shareholders and the product itself seems to sort of take a backseat. Yeah, um, Chinese media has rarely pleasantly surprised me, and I, I doubt this will happen. Yeah. All right, our next bit of news, uh, more about Aftershock. Uh, Kevin, you know a little bit about this? Well, as expected, um, Feng Xiaogang's Aftershock has now broken the record as the highest-grossing Chinese film ever released in China. Um Feng Xiaogan's target before the release, about half a year after the release, he kept saying he wants this movie to make 500 million RMB. And now it has broken that in, I believe, three weekends. Uh, it is now, the gross now stands at 532 million RMB. Um, that would beat Founding Republic, um, which became the highest grossing Chinese film with 420 million RMB. Um, so it, it, it beat it by a mile. Uh, literally, um, um, I think now they're looking at 600 million RMB, um, or rather the next record, which is um, Avatar, which made something like 1.3 billion RMB. So they have a long way to go. Um, but you know, personally, I didn't particularly like the film, um, but I could see how it was possible for them to make this much money because um Wormo have been fairly divisive um between the cultural critics um at least the 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 more how can I say critical cultural critics and 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 and, and your mainstream, normal mainstream audience um nevertheless Wormo has been fairly good um it's already broken the 10 million mark here in Hong Kong which is quite remarkable for a mainland film um also it is still playing, I believe, on twelve hundred screens, which is about three times the normal uh, normal release in China. So um, I won't be I won't be surprised if this gets quite close to the Avatar record. Do you think it will break it, Paul? 
Well, I think it's it's possible. I mean, you know, especially if you follow what what's going on in the news right now um, with, you know, the floods and the landslides and a lot of the sort of, you know, um, natural disaster, uh, human tragedy that's going on. Um, um, I, I can see this movie kind of serving as a as a form of escapism for a lot of people in the mainland wanting to um, get away from the reality of what they're seeing in terms of news images every day. And, you know, that I'm sure that that's going to be a contributing factor uh, of some sort. Um, I'm, I, you know, I think it's interesting and a little bit funny that um, this film beat uh, Founding of a Republic. And I, I know that there's a prequel that we've talked about that's coming for, you know, the founding of a party that's going to be due here in a year or so. Um, and, you know, maybe that'll be Aftershock, ultimately. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, but for now, this is definitely sort of the king of the hill for Chinese cinema. It's going to be the film to beat. Um, I think that uh, founder of a founder of a party might learn from how founder how Aftershock um, made a success. One, uh, flooded all the screens. Um, two, plant a lot of stories, put in a lot of uh, in the media. Um, talk about how touching it is, blah blah. Um, uh, get in, get into the audience through through emotions. Um, this is definitely a good lesson in publicity. Um, I wouldn't say it's a very, um, I wouldn't approve of this type of publicity, but um, it's a very successful case of publicity. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of Chinese um, cinema um, or film industry people would learn from this and use it. I just hope that, like you're talking about the recent uh, disasters, I hope that the producers of Aftershock won't be cashing in on this like they did um, when the Qinghai earthquake happened, when uh, they decided to hold, I think I've talked about this before, when they decided to hold their first publicity event on the day of the Qinghai earthquake. Yeah. All right, our third bit of news for this week. Uh, City Under Siege, not in Broadway cinemas. What's up with that, Kevin? Okay, um, well, let's, 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 let's lay out the basics of uh, Hong Kong cinema distributions. Uh, there's a couple of big chains in Hong Kong. You have uh, Broadway, which is owned by Echo. Um, you have uh, United Artists Cinema, which, uh, which, uh, who also uh, are in film distribution. Um, formerly is Lark and now is uh, UA. Um, third, you have the MCL Cinemas, which is run by Intercontinental, which is also a film distributor. Um, so those are three major chains, and there are also the Newport chains. So essentially, these these chains of theaters. Um, interestingly, City Under Siege, which is which has been distributed by Universe, uh, who also distributed um, Storm Warriors, and and UA UA Cinemas uh, Film Distribution uh, Arm, uh, for some reason, is not playing in any of the Broadway cinemas. Broadway Cinema is the biggest chain, I believe, in Hong Kong. Um, so it wouldn't do universe any good to not put the film in there but for some reason it's not getting any of the broadway screens um it's not because it's a limited release i think this is a pretty big release um what what i've heard is that universe and broadway have been had views um particularly about uh the aaron kwok film the detective um when it came out i believe it came out two days late in broadway cinemas over a feud about um profit sharing or revenue sharing um, do you think, what do you think, Paul? Well, well, one, what do you guess happened? And two, do you think this will hurt the film and how much or whether it'll, the film will just do just fine? Well, um, if you ask me, I think that probably the owners of Broadway got to see a screening of the film and they said, nope, not for us. Aaron Kwok and clown makeup, not going to work. Um, <laughs> now I don't, you know, I don't know. The, these... The, there are only a handful of chains in, you know, Hong Kong. Uh, it's a very tiny industry, considering you know, uh, unlike the massive chains that you that you get in the United States for 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 cinemas. And I think any time a film is excluded from a bigger chain like Broadway or UA or Golden Harvest, that's definitely gonna hurt the the ticket sales. Um, especially Broadway cinemas, because they seem to be more strategically placed mm -hmm. in, you know, the Kowloon area where, 
a, a larger bulk of people tend to go and see local films um, as opposed to, you know, the the um, the film, the, the cinemas on Hong Kong Island, which tend to get a little bit, you know, they tend to get more expats who generally, you know, by and large, and I know this is a generalization and I kind of fall completely outside of this generalization, but there are a lot of expats, you know, who live and work on Hong Kong Island who have no interest in local cinema. They simply want to go see the Hollywood imports. Um, and that, and that's fine. But, I, you know, I think this uh, this is ultimately going to hurt the film um, and that you've got fewer cinemas to choose from. And some of those cinemas don't have, you know, overly nice venues. Um, I don't, I can't tell you when the last time I saw a film in a UA cinema was because the UA cinemas are not as convenient as the Broadway cinemas. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the ones that I can get to, I don't really, you know, I don't really want to go there because uh, they're not, they're not that nice. If I'm going to spend the money, I'd rather go to a nicer cinema, you know, like, um, Olympic or, uh, AMC. So, yeah, I think that this is, this is, you know, I, I can't really guess why this is, but it's definitely political. I'm sure it's got something to do about, you know, with money. And it's, 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 it's sad because the one thing Hong Kong films don't need to have happen is issues like this, where they're being sort of blacked out from certain chains. it's time to talk about our east screen film for this week so what do we have this week kevin Woohoo! we have um jade and the pearl uh starring tvb's best and greatest actors uh also emperor entertainment group's best and greatest idols can we can we use those um two adjectives in the same sentence when we're talking about tvb best and greatest <laughs> Well, more like the only and the biggest. Yeah, a little, little, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A little um, background, uh, TVB, Television Broadcasting Limited, something like that. Um, they're the biggest uh, television station in Hong Kong. Their ratings often take up roughly 80% of uh, total viewership here in Hong Kong. Um, and they have recently um, gone into filmmaking, starting with um, the Laughing Gong movie Turning Point, and then this past Lunar New Year with Seventy Two Tenants of Prosperity. So, um, Jade and the Pearl is their third uh, co-production with the 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 revived Shaw Brothers Studio, um, and also um, I believe this is the first official co-production with the Emperor Entertainment Group, who Houses artists such as the Twins, um, Wan Cho Lam. Um, you have uh, who else is the Emperor? Man, uh, Emperor Entertainment Fuck, uh, Paul. Uh, in the movie or just in Emperor? Or in Emperor in general. Uh, I mean, the uh, twins are the biggest. Uh, Joey Young. Yeah, Joey Young. Uh, and she's, Joey in, Young. she's in the film. Yes. Um, um, essentially, all four of the leads are. Is is Eason part of them? No longer. He he used to be for a while. Because he used to do uh, quite a few films with with uh, Charlene, as I recall, and right, he he left because actually he was he was he wasn't satisfied with the way that Emperor was uh, expanding his career into movies and into anything outside of music. Um, so all four leads in this film are Emperor artists. Um, it is directed by Janet Chun, uh, who is directing solo for the first time after working with um, scriptwriter Chung Hing Kai on La Brazier, um Poker King, um, and most recently, La Comedy Humane. Um, this is a period of film, so to speak. Kind of a, uh, like 72 Tens of Prosperity, it, it, it's, it's chock full of cameos. Um, it's a comedy, a period comedy that kind of uses Mole Tao comedy. Um, but it really is one of the worst films uh, essentially, uh, of the year. Um, it's essentially 
shows if TVB used their own writers and actually did a movie unlike uh, 72 Tenants and um, Turning Point, this is the kind of crap they would they would churn out. Um, the, the story, however little and uninvolving it is, it about a general um, who is played by uh, Raymond Lamb, uh, the TVB, uh, young TVB actor who is essentially... Uh, the top young actor at TVB right now. Uh, he's essentially on TV every day because he also has a drama playing right now. Um, plays a general of a nation that is ordered to escort a princess played by Charlene um, to another nation to get married. And along the way, along this very, very long, endless journey, um, they fall in love. But as their journey continues, uh, a bandit led by uh, Sanyang, I believe played by Joey Yong, um, trashes the party and, and splits the lovers apart. Um, Charlene, Charlene's princess character uh, undergoes a memory loss and meets a failing writer played by Wong Cho Lam, while um, the Raymond Lam general character is kidnapped by the bandit and he ends up having a bit of a Stockholm Syndrome kind of thing and helps the bandits fight their enemies. Um, of course, with all these kind of romantic comedies, you know that the lovers will get back together, and you know there must be some way for the general to revive the princess memory, and that's using the objects in the title, the jade and the pearl. Now, of course, um, foreign viewers may not know, but uh, TVB runs two channels here in Hong Kong. The Chinese language one is called Jade, and the English channel is called Pearl. So. That should tell you well, what kind of self-promotion they got here going uh, in TVB. Essentially, they put they, everything they're selling is TVB, from their artists to even the titles to um, their production values. Um, we, uh, one of our friends in the movie group uh, lives near the TVB studio, and he actually recognized one of the locations as being near his home in Chengguano. So that kind of tells you um, how how cheap the film is and how, how quick of a cash in it is because, um, like I said, it's all selling these TVB artists and this EG artists and it's all about promoting them and, 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 and putting them on the screen. And um, the whole thing is, is really shoddy directed. Um, it's, poor, it's poorly shot. It's poorly acted. It's poorly written. The jokes don't work. Um the only thing I'm thankful for is that there's only one product placement, but even that one was so in your face, the film kind of acknowledges it. Um, none of it was involving. I just kind of, I just don't remember that movie anymore. It's just, it was so, such a torture to sit through. Um, easily one of the worst of the year. Um, just, just, just another proof that TVB should just stick to making making crap that housewives don't have to look at, uh, just listen to while they, they eat um, at the dinner table. Um, please stay out of the cinemas. Um, forget it. Jaden Pearl. Yeah, this is um, this was really bad. And it, it's unfortunate because the trailer, you know, the trailer makes it look kind of intriguing. Um, and really? after, yeah, I mean, after... after um, 72 Tenants of Prosperity, which I was pleasantly surprised with. Um, I thought that, okay, this will be sort of maybe on par with that. And boy, was I wrong. Um, the, the, the narrative itself is just so very straightforward in, you know, the, the, the whole, it's, it's the bodyguard, basically. Um, you know, story hook where the bodyguard ends up falling in love with, you know, the person he's selected to protect. And... The, the casts are like at different levels um, throughout. You, you've got some quirky cameos in places, you know, people like Lamshut and um, <clears throat> Chapman Toe, but they're never on screen long enough to really, you know, have, have any, any value or any real impact. Um, there's this really weird sort of uh, MTV-ish kind of song that Chapman Toe ends up singing at one point. And it it just sort of comes from out of nowhere, and it doesn't it doesn't seem to have any bearing on on the film. And I kind of got the sense that they were trying to be like um, I think who was it uh, Eagle Shooting Heroes? Mm -hmm. Do you remember that film? 
Yes, um, yes. In, in that it was trying to be crazy and very stylistic, and at the same time, you had all these really big stars appearing in it, but this just didn't come, you know, come across. Um, none of the gags seemed to work. A lot of the gags were, were very old. Um, you've seen them a dozen times before, and I wonder if that's part of our problem. Um, you know, and because I can, I can share when we were watching this, I think there were about at the start of it with our group, there were there there were only four other people outside of our group uh, mm-hmm. in the cinema. So there was about ten people watching this film. That that other group of four, um, I would say the average age of that group was probably. 17 you know and they were obviously there um being fans of the tvb idols you know like raymond lamb and so forth and it was obvious that the gags that they were doing the innuendos that they were doing which have all been done before were working for them and i'm wondering if it's because maybe they haven't seen all the stuff that we've seen they haven't been exposed to these same gags before so for them you know, for a younger audience, maybe it's fresh and new. Um, but, you know, we I, we can share a little bit more from our experience. We were very pleasant, pleasantly surprised that um, uh, we had a local director actually watching this film with us. And I don't want to, um, I won't reveal who it is because we don't, you know, he, he, he was just there sort of, um, he had taken his director's hat off and he was just there as a friend. And um, it, it was a nice experience, but I'll say this, he fell asleep during the <laughs> film. Um, so when you have a local director watching a, a local film with you and that director falls asleep, um, yeah, he, you know, he was tired. He had a long day, but I think that speaks volumes uh, about the quality of this film. Um, the, the one thing I will say is both Charlene and Wong Cholam were much better than this film um, deserved and there were points when they were together when their sort of narrative was going on at the end that I thought well okay well this is this is really you know they have some chemistry and what they're doing is working for me um, and then it's all kind of you know blown to hell with a very traditional ending that I think could have dared to be different they could have gone a completely different direction with the ending and really surprised you actually me. make a funny one well not not just funny but just different rather than the very traditional ending that you expect should happen they could have gone a different way with it and mm. and it would have been it would have been bold and it would have been interesting and it would have made the film you know a lot more engaging at least for me um a lot like eagle shooting heroes too here the, the costuming is just wacky um this is a story about a princess who's being sent out to the west you know to marry to secure the empire for the king. She's going to marry this foreign prince or something. But the costumes here are not like traditional Chinese. This isn't a a Tang dynasty or a Qing dynasty or a Ming dynasty period piece. It's like, you know, bits and pieces of some art designer and costume designer's dream that are thrown together. And it, it doesn't really make any kind of sense in a historical space so you can't really make sense of it in 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 that sense either um and so it's just it's just there's not enough here to really appreciate or grasp onto at least for me outside of charlene and wong cho lam and they were not in it nearly enough together um to be a redeeming feature for the film personally i i didn't really like wong cho lam in it he's just sort of Doing his whole shtick again with the the play acting and the and the and the storytelling and the voices, nothing is new. Yeah, I mean, in a um, sense, and I, I think I made a comment to Tim um, or one of the other people in our group at one point saying he's just doing he he he, he sometimes he does this thing where he's imitating uh, Jim Chim Chim Soyman, um, mm-hmm. imitating someone else, right and. He, he was doing that a little bit here. He's done that before and other stuff. And yeah, I mean, he sort of has his traditional things that he goes to. But I, I did like the character that he was playing. And I did like, you know, the relationship that he had with Char- Charlene at that point. That was really the only part of the film that I, I felt was, was interesting. 
Um, the rest of it, you know, the whole other side of the saga with, uh, you know, Raymond's character getting kidnapped and Joey Young. I just, you know, I didn't know what, you know, Joey Young was dressed like a gypsy and she was supposed to be this, you know, wicked bandit queen. And I just didn't buy into any of it because she had all her, like, you know, Fankel House makeup on 24-7. <laughs> so, you know, it's just one of those things that it's just... It's nonsense, but it's nonsense that you've seen before that's not funny this time unless you're under the age of 20. Yeah, it's, well, it's nonsense that makes no sense. Um, I would also like to apologize um, both on behalf of myself and my friends that if you were at the Dynasty Cinema at uh, on Thursday, Thursday, August the 5th at 7.30, we had that show and we were too loud. Uh, I apologize. It was as terrible for us as it was for you, I'm sure. Yeah, it was like Mystery Science Theater 10,000 on Overdrive. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right, it's time to talk about some West Screen news. Not a whole lot of news to talk about this week. Um, one bit of interesting news that I did come across, though, is that there's a new uh, animated Tarzan film in the works, and as with many films that are in the works these days, it is scheduled to be in 3D. Um, the interesting thing is that uh, this is coming from the Constantin Film uh, Production Studio out of Germany, um, who's going to be doing this. It will. It's it's planned to be an English-language pick, Um but uh, it's going to be animated in 3D. So what I'm thinking is, is this um, is this going to be sort of the start of a European trend in animation to kind of rise up and maybe challenge Disney or Pixar or DreamWorks? When was the the Disney Tarzan film? Uh, that's a good question. I think uh, 1999 was the animated right. Tarzan film. And according to this article, grossed uh, 448 million worldwide. You know, that's for an animated film, especially a 2D animated film. That's uh, that's not chump change. Um, and apparently, there's a live-action um, Tarzan that's been in some form of pre-production since 2003. And it says here that uh, both Guillermo del Toro and Steven Summers had been tagged to direct that at points, but um, that's all the information they reveal so i guess that's still not in any kind of production phase or near a production phase yeah it's, it's definitely ballsy for a company to remake or well to to bring back a story that disney had just made about a decade ago um actually i think the disney film if it had, that was converted to 3d it would be just fine because i remember there was some pretty spectacular tree tree surfing sequence in yeah, that movie yeah, they, that, um, for a 2d movie that was that was some pretty impressive 2D animation they were doing. Although, I think that was about the time when Disney was starting to play with um, some some actually three some actual 3D modeling techniques in 2D to give a better sense of depth and and perception. Mm -hmm, definitely. So um, I don't I I don't know why they had to choose choose this franchise. Um, but uh, it's gonna hard it's gonna be hard to top the Tar uh, the, the the Disney Tarzan because I remember liking that that film when it came out um and i believe there was also a live action film in that same decade starring the the the, the actor from starship troopers and that one definitely flopped so oh, yeah. i don't know yeah so it seems like tarzan is not a guaranteed uh box office hit um we'll see how it goes um maybe we'll check we'll, you know we won't know anything until we actually see the film And speaking of Disney, that brings us to our West screen pick for this week. And that is the latest Nicolas Cage film, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. So this is a film, um, as you, if you have a little bit of a Disney animation background, you'll know it's sort of 
evolving out of the short uh, Fantasia skit that was originally starring Mickey Mouse as the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Well, there's no Mickey here. Um, instead, what we have is Dave. Um, and he is surrounded by people like Balthazar Blake or Horvath uh, or Drake Stone, right? So you've got all these really, you know, fancy magician-sounding names. At one point, we have uh, uh, Morgan Le Fay and Merlin, right? And you've got Dave, Dave the Magician. <laughs> um, so this is definitely a Disney film. And basically what it is is it's the story of um, uh, a wizard or a sorcerer, Balthazar, played by Nicolas Cage, who has spent centuries trying to locate um, an apprentice uh, who will be what they, uh, who, who will be the sort of the descendant of Merlin, uh, the, the prime Merlinian, as he's known. And as with most stories like this, the prime Merlinian is the chosen one, um, you know, a la The Matrix, a la Star Wars, a la, you know, every other chosen one kind of story you could find. Um, and so Dave, played by um, Jay Baruchel, if, I say, if I'm saying his name correct, Baruchel, or Baruchel, um, you know, he's a, he's a young kid, and he doesn't know anything about the magical world, and he suddenly finds he has all this responsibility thrust upon him to learn magic. And at the same time, you've got the bad guy elements, um, played by Alfred Molina, and in a smaller role, uh, but still somewhat significant, um, Alice Krieg, from, who plays Morgan Le Fay, also of um, Star Trek uh, fame. <clears throat> and so basically it's sort of uh, a race between these two factions. Uh, Balthasar is trying to train Dave so he can stop you know the bad guys um all there's a lot of magic and special effects going on in between quite a few chase scenes um in between um building up to you know the final confrontation of these two sides of magicians there's a big sort of super evil spell um that they're they're trying to get cast and it's up to balthazar and dave to stop them um it's fun but the narrative is really a bit juvenile um, some of the, you know, I'm always amazed by films like this, and I, and I kind of alluded to this when we talked about Predators, where people find out these just fantastical things, you know, these just amazing things, things that would just make you reevaluate the way you look at life, you know, and they're just like, okay, let's, you know, moving on. Um, it, it seems to have no real impact on them. And, and it, you know, that you get that sense here. And in part, I think that's because this film is directed at a younger audience, really. Um, in a way, I kind of, you know, with the casting here, um, although I felt the casting was good, you know, Dave is very much, you know, he's in college, but he's got like, like this crush on this girl that he knew from, uh, you know, from when he was in elementary school. And I just felt like at any time, High School Musical was going to, you know, pop out and people were going to start singing and dancing while they were casting spells. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. It, it's Maybe it was a bit too juvenile for me to get really into it, but it was still kind of fun. Um, for those Fantasia fans, you can see this in the trailer, so it's not really a spoiler. Um, the, the classic Fantasia scene is referenced a little bit. Um, so if you're a Fantasia fan, you can look forward to that. I think they pull it off fairly well. It's nowhere near as dynamic as watching, um, the, the, the Fantasia, se the Fantasia segment, um, but still fairly interesting, their take on it. Um, the way that they talk about science and magic here, I think is interesting, but then it doesn't explain everything because there's a lot of other stuff that goes on, um, with some of the spell casting that doesn't seem to gel exactly with what the explanation of the way that magic is related to science um so uh, maybe that because that it doesn't get very deep either it comes across as being a bit juvenile um but in general i like the cast you know i like jay baruchel as dave um sort of this everyman kid uh you know that that you know if a little bit geeky a little bit awkward you can relate to him 
Um, not not really protagonist material that you might expect, but I like that. It doesn't doesn't always have to be the you know the young um, the the young athletic cocky kid as a protagonist. Um, so I like the cast. Nick Cage is was was Nick Cage. Um, a lot of people don't like Nick Cage. For me, it depends on the role that he's doing. Um, this is uh, the the film was directed by John Turtletaub, who uh, has worked with Nick Cage before uh, in films like National Treasure and Book of Secrets. So they've got a bit of a relationship, and I think that he having that experience probably helped in the direction of Nick Nick Cage. Um, and so I kind of liked him in the role. Um, sort of as, especially in the, in sort of the modern era, there, there's a little bit of a sort of a prehistory era. And that was one of my, my bigger problems right at the start of the movie. There's this whole long, um, thing where there's this narration going on that it's explaining everything to try and get you up to speed. And it's almost like you, you missed the first movie and this is part two because there's so much explanation going on. And I hate when films do that. I, and you know, it's. I remember one of my, one of my early film school teachers had said, the best movies show you, they don't tell you. And I don't think there was anything going on in those early sequences that they could have done, um, you know, with without that narration and had the ideas come across. Um, but it was just it was so long and so much narration going on. It really sort of you know di- di- distracted from the film in that first, you know, 20 minutes or so. Um, but I ultimately, I'd say, I, you know, I liked it. I, you know, if I was going to have friends who, if you're a Disney fan, if you like Disney style movies, um, I'd say, go see this, check it out at a, at a matinee or, you know, on a Tuesday discount show or something, um, or, or wait for video and, and rent it if you can. It's, it's not something you'd have to rush out and see in prime time. Kevin thoughts. One second, I'll get up. Ah, sorry. Are you sleeping? Huh? No, no. Sleeping? I, 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 I kind of leaned back on my chair, oh, and I was afraid of the noise. Anyway, one big sit up. <laughs> All right. Where you go? Uh, I like the film. Well, I, okay, I like the film for what it was entertaining. Um, it was entertaining. A lot of special effects. Um, really nice spectacle. Um, but uh, you were talking about you know classic. Uh, these kind of magic films that they show instead of tell. I mean, just look at Star Wars. You know, it has this big, complicated background, but the 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 fourth, I guess, episode four, the first film, it just shows you. Okay, it shows you the world. Darth Vader, evil. You know, Skywalker, uh, good. And then you have the the mentor character. You know, very very um. Typical adventure storyline, but that movie, you feel a sense of wonder. When you're discovering this new world, these new things, you feel, you know, like you're, like you're, you feel like you're a character, you feel like you're a uh, Skywalker, and you feel like you're discovering these new things. But there's very little of that magic and wonder here. I mean, it's kind of ironic because for a movie about magic, there's no magic. Um, instead, just sort of a lot of these special effects and there's plasma balls. And the, the science, the scientific explanation feels like. Is something to appease, you know, the religious, the religious right, you know. <laughs> that's what he felt like. I, 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 I didn't say think about I, that. That's that's funny. That's good. I literally know someone who won't, who can't watch Harry Potter, uh, because of the religious beliefs. So, so I kind of, I kind of picked up. I might have picked up on that a little bit. Um, to me, it was just, it felt like it didn't need to be there. It just kind of shoved in. Um, for me, Nicolas Cage wasn't Nicolas Cage enough. Um, I guess because he's kind of taking the backseat uh, to Jay Bruchel's character. Um, he's kind of the mentor character, so he didn't really get to be Nick Cage. Um, if Nick Cage, uh, you see little shades of him. He's an executive producer on the film, so maybe you know you could see that uh, he did have some control over his performance. I, so I think he just chose not to be so over the top, but. I wanted Nick Cage to be Nick Cage, you know, Nick Cage, that kind of, that kind of um, Nick Cage that you usually watch. Um, for me, Jay Bruchel was, I didn't like him as the lead. I didn't like him at all. Um, he was too nerdy. Um, you know, there's a fine line between being likable nerdy and being just too nerdy. And when you're starting up a franchise uh, with 
a uh, young man who is going to become to become an action hero, a sorcerer hero, I guess a magic hero. Um, there needs to be a bit of charm. There needs to be. I hate to be shallow, but there needs to be a bit of looks. There needs to be a bit of charm, a bit of charisma. And Jay Bruchio just kind of stayed on that nerd thing for too long for me, and he never really came through as a believable hero. It just seems like he kind of, kind of stumble onto how whatever he learns in the film. Uh, the story is too long. It's too repetitive. It's too much people getting in danger, and then someone with better magic ability shows up. Um, all these names, the Primum Merlion, the Morgana, and the Morganian, and the Horvath, and Balthazar. There's all these made-up names that I can't remember. There's too many characters. Like I said, that that didn't help with building that magic, that wonder. It's not simple enough. Um, the only thing simple is the structure, where... You know, people are in trouble. If someone shows up, then they learn. Then, then the the nerd learns some more, and then someone gets in trouble, and someone shows up, and the, the nerd learns some more. Um, but you know, other than that, like I said, it's entertaining film. We don't think too much about it. Uh, we just watch it for the special effects. It's fine. Um, it's an okay film for I think anyone over ten years old. Um, for me, at points it was a little dark. Some of the images are kind of disturbing um, with the bugs and 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 things like that. Um, you know, the whole considering most of the film takes place at night, that didn't really help with that family, the typical family film look. Um, you know, what, couldn't they have any daytime scenes? That's what I was thinking. I mean, they have a couple of scenes in the daytime, but even those are a bunch of in, in shadows, and it seems like it's never sunny in New York. Um, you know, couldn't they kind of fit that you know family film look a little more? And I wonder if that is why it flopped in America. I mean, look, it might have um look too dark for family and you know for older audience it might look too childish um you know why 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 do you think it flopped in america paul i mean it's perfectly entertaining i don't know you know uh, i think in recent years nick cage has kind of built up a little bit of a bad reputation with films like national treasure 2 and and ghost rider um but then you know you get a film like um kick-ass where people were raving about his performance there so um, you know, it, it, it's hit or miss. Um, I think in part, it, it's an idea that this is a concept film. It's a film that was built around the concept of the, that short little narrative from Fantasia. And I think that a, probably a lot of people said, well, there's, there's not going to be anything there to it. There's not going to be any real meat to it because it's just built on that, that idea. And I think that, you know, there's, there is, you know, there's a, a fairly decent story here, but it is, again, that same old, same old, you know, chosen one kind of a story um, that we've all seen done time and time again. So you're not watching this film for the story. You're watching it either because you like the actors, you know, and if you're, you know, if you're in the anti Nicolas Cage camp, you don't, you're not going to be going out to see it, um, or you're going to watch it for the special effects. And, you know, the special effects were okay, but they weren't astounding. Um, This wasn't like a Harry Potter-level production uh, in terms of of a lot of what they were doing. And like you said, a lot of it's done at night, so there's, you know, there's not a lot to to be seen. And a lot of it just goes by too quickly. Um, So I think it's probably a combination of things. And, you know, watch it, wait and see. Perhaps it'll do better on video. Um, the, you know, this, so this is a film that I could have, if had I not seen it in the theaters and, and I would watched it later, renting it on iTunes or on video, I would have been, you know, okay with that. Um, I was excited to see it because I do like Nicolas Cage and I did like the fact that, you know, this is kind of coming out of a, you know, the, the Fantasia cartoon, which I really love, you know, and I, and I'm a Disney fan, as I've said before, um, it just didn't meet my expectations in terms in terms of the the theme. I thought it would be a little bit more mature than it was. Um, there is one scene that I can comment on that was kind of funny, where uh, the main character Balthazar he's chased the villain to Chinatown, and they they go into this room, and there's this little Chinese woman in there, and he says something to her in Cantonese and it's not very good Cantonese and then the woman says back um oh you speak Mandarin and immediately you know it's like everybody in the audience was like huh (laughs) 
<laughs> and then it, it turns out that that's part of the gag. I, I won't spoil. I won't spoil the gag here. But it was. It was for a moment. It was that sense of if you know us. You know if you know the differences between, you know, Cantonese and Mandarin. As somebody who's fluent, it's one of those moments where you watch something like an old kung fu uh, episode or an old film that's got you know some Chinese extras in it, and they're speaking something and they say it's something else, and you go, no, that's wrong. Um, but here they were kind of you know they kind of, I guess they expect the audience is a little bit smarter than they used to be, and so they kind of made a joke out of it. Um, about the um audience or the whole reason why it might have flopped um Bruckheimer and the direct Jerry Bruckheimer the producer and the director and also Nicolas Cage they teamed up for National Treasure which um pleased audience on the level where they put in the pseudo history to get people involved to, to get people try and believe that oh wow it's really interesting stuff um they can really get into it but I think there's nothing like that here there's that you know, National Treasure gave that sense of wonder by making up history and making up these things in history. And that's involving. It's interesting, even though you kind of know that it's all made up. But I think it, 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 this film lacked that. Yeah. Well, the, the other problem here is that, um, and, and it, I think it's a common flaw in films where there's a chosen one, you know, is that I think like the whole story, I mean, from, from you know, the, the old where we're, we meet older Dave takes place in like a week or so it seems, you know. So it's like there's no real sense of him learning or developing or really, you know, building a strong relationship with any of the people we see um, on the screen, and and it just goes it rushes by so fast, you know. And it's like um, I can there's one scene where. Uh, they, they, they um, a magic thing happens and they go through a mirror and as they go through the mirror they're in sort of this um reverse, reverse world, world right and and while they're there it's like nicholas cage is just spouting off answers one after the other of um what where you know where this place is what's going to happen what they have to do and what will happen if they don't do it right it's like boom 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 to answer Dave's questions that he knows Dave is going to have. And it's, but it's done in such a way that it's like, you're just telling the audience this. It's a chase scene. It doesn't, you, you don't have any time to really absorb it. So it's just like giving a really quick explanation that doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, I think it goes back to what you said. They don't build the sense of wonder about this, you know, not, not in the way that successful films like Star Wars or Harry Potter do. I mean, like the like or like the Harry Potter films or not, the one thing that those films all do is with each film they successively expand and build upon the wonder. And right. I mean, I, as much as I love Harry Potter, none of the films uh, I, I still like the first film the best, right? Because of that sense that when you're, you know, when 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 I saw it for the first time and I was going with Harry, and I was learning about all these wonderful things. Mm-hmm. You know, and they were taking time to, you know, uh, sort of explore. So you were learning with him. You don't, you don't have that here with these characters. Mm-hmm. All right. It's time to address some of the comments we received over the past week. Um, got a couple comments again from, first from uh, Tin Lan Lao. And he says, one of the things we failed to mention last week when we were talking about uh, the new Donnie Yen, the upcoming Donnie Yen film, Legend of the Fist, Return of Chen Zen, is that actually this isn't the first time Donnie has played the character. He played the same character in a television series remake of Fist of Fury and Bay Logan, who some might know from um, video commentaries. And uh, I think he authored Hong Kong Action Cinema. Um, And he was one of the bad guys. And also that Bruce um, Lang Siulong from Kung Fu Hustle and from Gallants um, played the same character in an ATV produced The Legendary Falk back in the uh, 1980s. Um, and that actually, he says here that uh, the theme song from Gallants is actually sort of remixed and revamped from that. 
So some interesting trivia there um, with regard to this. Um, and then Matt S. goes on to say that Bruce Lee's uh, 70th birthday is being celebrated this year. So he would have been 70 had he, had he lived. Um, and perhaps this explains some of the strangeness behind Legend of the Fist, uh, as much as it can be explained anyway. And maybe they'll work in a yellow tracksuit. Wouldn't that be interesting? Seeing Donnie in the uh, yellow tracksuit with yellow, nun- yellow and black nunchucks. Where his muscle will, will become more impaired than ever. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think I I I remember seeing a Donnie Yen uh, TV drama when he was younger, and I can't remember what it was. It might have been this one. I didn't actually see it. I saw it on like Tai Sang or something, and I remember having a having a conversation with Kozo, and he basically warned me against getting it because he said the Tai Sang version was like massively edited down, and it had been Mm -hmm. cut up dramatically. So. I ended up yeah. not getting it, and I'm wondering if that if that's the one that that they're referring to here. That's the one. That's is the edited version of the ATV uh, Fist of Fury series. Yes, mm. interesting. Now, yeah. have you seen that? No, no. I I think I've seen bits and pieces of it on TV, but yeah. Um, sorry, I failed to remember that. Um, and I guess a little make this makes a little more sense for Donnie to be in this role again. Um, also, I failed to mention that the the seventieth birthday of Bruce Lee is probably why. The Venice Film Festival picked uh, the film to be a non, not in comp- to not play in competition, but open the festival. Hmm. Interesting. And so, I'm wondering now, with given the title, Legend of the Fist: The Return of Chen Zhen, if if you know if it's got Donnie, if this is is this supposed to be a continuation of the TV series, you know, being the return, or if it's just simply like a re- a straight remake. Um, from the plot descriptions I read, it either starts out with with how this character um, goes away, or it's uh, in a way a continuation of uh, the Jet Li film Fist of Legend, because uh, producer of Legend of the Fist is Gordon Chan, who directed uh, Fist of Fist of Legend. Interesting. We'll have to wait and see how it pans out. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for your comments. Um, as always, if you'd like to get in touch with us or leave comments for the show, uh, you can do so through our website at www.concast.com. Um, you can post comments over there. We'll talk about them on the show. Or if you'd like to, you can send us in questions uh, through an MP3 file um, through our, uh, to our website or our email address. Um, you can always find our episodes on the website or on iTunes, and you can follow both of us on Twitter um, through the website or through Kevin's Twitter, which is www.twitter.com slash thegoldenrock, if I got that correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can keep in touch with what Kevin is up to. Um, Kevin, where can people go if they want to see some of the other stuff you do? Um, you can read my weekly reviews of uh, English films playing in Hong Kong on www.ypmovies.com.hk that's movies with an S um, I will be reviewing the last Air Bieber this week oh I'm sorry Air Bender uh, this week um, yeah and usually review goes up on Friday morning Hong Kong time so do check out my stuff there I also Report some entertainment news uh, and uh, write about some editor's picks on yesasia.com under the pen name uh, Rockman. Um, yeah, and of course the Twitter and once in a while, uh, once in a blue moon, I do keep up a blog over at lovehkfilm.com. And also I have one review pending uh, waiting to be published uh, over there on the website and hopefully I'll be working on another one within this week or so. All right. That's excellent. And we will look forward to hearing your thoughts about The Last Failbender, I mean, <clears throat> The Last Airbender, uh, on our show next week, which will be episode 38. Um, we'll also be talking about uh, Aaron Kwok in clown makeup, uh, the <laughs> film known as City Under Siege, which we talked about a little bit today. Um, just a quick note on some things to come. Uh, we are approaching our one-year anniversary for the show, Woo-hoo! so... It, doesn't seem like it's been that long, but that will be coming up in a couple weeks. And we'll be doing a little bit of a revamp to the show. 
when we start off year two. Um, as I'm as I've mentioned elsewhere, um, we've got some things in the works, a new theme, and changing the format about around a little bit, and we might possibly experiment with some live streaming. Um, but that's in things to come over the next month or so. So until next time, we will wish you good viewing, and we'll see you then. See you next time. <laughs>